following audio is from Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel can be found at our website, myemmanuel.net. What child is this who lay to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? Angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch his Christmas Eve service, it speaks to me on so many different levels. I love being in the, in the presence of other people of uh, like faith and order who have a similar faith and we think the same way. I, I love that for me many times this is that event where I've been busy, busy, busy and this is where I stop and, and you breathe and uh, the scripture says, be still and know that I'm God and this is kind of that event for me that kind of gets me back in the right place. Uh, But I also love the fact that we stop to consider what God has done in our lives. And sometimes the Christmas distraction keeps people from that, right? If it's all uh, reindeer and Santa Claus and and, uh, office parties and the kids got the Christmas musical thing and you got to attend this and you got to go to that, you kind of blow through the season and you and you miss what God wants to say to you. So as I gave it some thought, I I began to realize that above all the Christmas distraction, the true seeker has to realize that the incarnation of Christ, uh, that is his coming to the earth, must be seen as an intervention. Now, I don't know if your family's ever had an intervention. This is not the kind of thing our families we brag about, right? But uh, usually an intervention, as we talk about it in modern society, is because you got somebody that you love and you care about. They drink too much. They're doing drugs. They gamble too much. They're doing something, and it's destroying their lives, and they can't see it themselves because they're blinded by that habit. And so everybody who loves them, you... You get together and you can't tell them ahead of time because you can't say, hey, meet us tomorrow too. It's going to be your intervention. They won't come, right? So you, you got to surprise them. And that's what Jesus did. He surprised the world. And the scripture says in Galatians chapter 4 and the, the last half of verse 3 and then beginning in verse 4, it says that we, uh, the creatures of this world, we were enslaved by the elementary principles of the world. We were enslaved by our own sin. We we were enslaved by the idea that we thought we could write our own rules. But in verse 4 of Galatians 4, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, it's a a powerful phrase. It's, It's full of meaning, but at its simplest form, it means at just the right time, God intervened. This is what that intervention looked like. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law so that we might receive 
the adoption of sons. And the sons here is generic, so it means sons and daughters, that we might become the children of God. And verse 6 says, and because you are the children of God, God has sent his, the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you no longer have to be a slave. You no longer have to be a slave to sin. You no longer have to be a slave to that bad habit and those addictions. You don't have to be a slave to your guilt and your fear and your anger. You don't have to be a slave, but you're a son, a daughter. And if you're a son or a daughter, then you're an heir through God. So Christmas is one of those days when we remember the intervention of God into human history. The beautiful part of this is, and I want anybody to misunderstand me, God absolutely intervened in history, and it's historical. I mean, you can find the documents for it. Every now and then, I meet people like, well, the Bible is just something somebody made up. No, there's all parts of it that are historically validated, and, and his coming and his death and his burial and resurrection are all on that list. But God not only intervened in history, he intervenes in our lives, individually, personally. He loves you so much, he intervenes in your life, and he gives you a moment like this where you can stop and think, what is it? that God's trying to say to me. Now, the reason God intervenes is because people are always going the wrong way. You know, uh, coming back and forth to church all the time, there's no way I can get here without a roundabout. Most of us, we've gotten quite accustomed to roundabouts, but every now and then, you get behind that person who you realize this is their first time to the big city, right? They, they live somewhere in Montana where they don't do roundabouts, and there's that moment where they pull up the roundabout, and you can see they want to turn left, and, and you're just going, oh, this is going to be bad, it's going to be bad, right? Because it's metaphorical, but people are always going the wrong way. And some of us, we've got friends, and we've got loved ones. It's not a roundabout. It's those things that I talked about before. It's they go from one relationship to another, or they go from a drug to an alcohol, to a, what, and you, you just look at their life, and you think, oh, this is going to be bad. Because we not only go the wrong way, we do the wrong thing. People are always doing the wrong thing. And we have, a, we have a whole object lesson in Washington, D.C. that proves it to us every day. People are always doing the wrong thing. And probably the thing that we deal with most in church life is that there are people who are believing the wrong ideas. So God intervenes. And Christmas is a reminder that God intervenes. And it's a, it's a course correction. If you're, if you're going the wrong way, you know, you get your phone out and then you, you turn and then whoever it is on your phone, Siri or the voice goes, recalibrating, redirecting, right? You, you got to get back on the right path. And that's, that's what Christmas is. It's that moment where we, we redirect to the right path. It's an intervention, like I said before. It's a validation of truth. Uh, you and I live in a modern world that believes some things that aren't true. And Christmas confronts that. Christmas is the reality that if you'll stop and think about it, that those beliefs aren't true. For instance, you and I live in a world 
that mostly they believe that people are basically good. If you and I, if we could catch people at Walmart tonight who hadn't done their shopping yet and they're doing the last minute Christmas shopping, and if they would stop and talk to us, by and far, Montanans who don't know the Lord and are unbelievers, they, they think that we're all basically good. And, uh, you know, uh, God loves us all, and kind of like a Santa Claus. He's, see, we're all going to live this life, and we're all going to go to heaven when we die because we're, we're all basically good. And, if you, and, if you, and it's pretty easy to blow that up. So, so then when you, when you prove to them that we're not basically good because there's so much evil in the world, it's easy to do, their response is, well, at least I'm good enough to get to heaven. I mean, I'm not perfect, right? I'm not perfect, but I'm good enough. And we can think of all the other people that we are better than, as if God grades on a curve. And we get this idea then that I'm just God's going to weigh the good and the bad, and I'm sure that my good outweighs the bad, and I'm going to make it. So, so here's my Christmas question. See, I, 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 my, my premise is Christmas is an intervention. It's when God kind of confronts the false beliefs in my life so here's a Christmas question. Why would God make the greatest sacrifice in human history? That is, sending his son to the cross, that he, that he would die for our sins. Why would he do that if we were good enough to get to heaven on our own? Uh, as a matter of fact, if, if Jesus didn't have to die for our sins and God the Father sent him to the cross... To kill him, that would be a needless death, and that would make him an evil God. No, uh, the Christmas story doesn't make any sense at all if you and I are good enough to get to heaven on our own. It only makes sense when we realize what God already knew, and that is there's none that's good, no, not one. There's none that seeks after righteousness. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned everyone to his own way. And so God laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Christmas doesn't have any meaning if you and I are good enough to get to heaven. There's a, there's a second belief that our unbelieving friends have, and especially those that are younger the, the unbelieving world thinks that you must be canceled. You ever heard the phrase cancel culture? You must be canceled if you stand in the way of my personal choices for perceived happiness. If I want to choose to do some things in my life and you don't approve or condone my choices, then you should be canceled. And, and literally, they, you should be taken off of Facebook. I know that's now called Meta. You should be taken off of Twitter. I know that's now called X. You should be canceled. Your voice shouldn't be allowed. Now, I want you to think about this modern thinking. It's very prevalent. And I want to ask a second Christmas question, and it has to do with the life of Jesus. If that's the way to do life, then why did Jesus cancel himself? I'm going to use that same language. Why would he cancel himself in order to achieve what was necessary 
for your peace and joy. Do you see these two, these two lines of thinking are absolutely opposites? The one of our modern world is upside down and backwards. In, in my selfishness, I want what I want, and you've got to help me get what I want, and if you don't, then you're a nobody. But Jesus came and made himself a nobody. Jesus came, and he who knew no sin took on our sin, and he went to that death voluntarily, and he did it for you. One, one worldview elevates selfishness, and the other says, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. Christmas proves to us that that line of worldly thinking is completely contorted. There's one other thing that my unbelieving friends believe, and that is they are really quite certain that the world, beginning with its evolutionary processes all the way through whatever happens to you on, a, on an everyday basis, they believe that the, the world and all of us that we got here by random, that it was just happenstance, that it was just coincidence, that it was just a, a big bang here and a mutation there and an evolution there and there's no real, no, there's no real plan to life if you're, if you're lucky enough, you get a good job. If you're lucky enough, you make some money. If you're lucky enough, you, you live in America instead of Afghanistan. It's just the idea. It's all just random to them. But once again, I, I have a Christmas question. Do you remember in Galatians 4, verse 4, it said, but when the fullness of time had come, what it's indicating there is that God had a plan, and he was waiting for the exact right time to put that plan into effect. There's another verse that says that Jesus is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Now, he, wasn't, he didn't go to the cross before the foundation of the world. What that verse means is it was God's plan before he ever said, let there be light, to send Jesus to the cross. He has a plan. So my, my Christmas question is, how could Jesus be called King of Kings and Lord of Lords if he wasn't in charge of the whole universe? He has to be in charge of it all to be the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the Bible clearly calls him that. Revelation 17 says he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And in his, in his return, when he comes on a white horse, the scripture says he has a name written on his, on his thigh, king of kings and Lord of lords. And Philippians chapter 2 says that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He's the one who said, let there be light. He's the one who, who started it all. He's the one who always had a plan. He's the one who's in charge of everything. Now, I know you and I, we look at the world and we think, it doesn't look very good, but God's got this. He hasn't messed up. In fact, the scripture tells us exactly what's going to happen before he returns. And you can see it in the headlines if you know what you're looking for. So he's coming again, the one 
who is the creator, the sustainer, the one who is the savior, the one who is our shepherd, the one who is the word, the one who is the truth, is the king of kings and Lord of lords. So Christmas is an intervention. Christmas is that moment where God wants to make sure that you don't get his plan for your life mixed up with reindeers and elves. He wants to make sure that you don't think that life is about whoever has the most money when they die wins. This is that moment where he stops you like one who loves you when they intervene in your life and says, have you really thought about how you're living your life? Because I have, and I've loved you with an everlasting love. And the one who intervenes in history intervenes in every single individual life to tell you, I know that you're separated from me because of your sin. That's why I sent my son. And Jesus died on the cross for you, that if you would trust in him, Scripture says in John chapter 1, to as many as received him, he gave them the the right to be called the children of God. And he wants to do that in your life today. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. I wonder if it's possible that you're here, maybe you're here with family and friends and you're going to be doing some other things later this evening and so you've come, but you've never really given thought to the claims of Christ. You know that there's a story about a baby in a manger, but you haven't ever given thought to the fact that it's the God of the universe who intervened, who became a human, lived a perfect life, went to the cross, and died a perfect death, a sacrificial death for your sins. And he's waiting now, asking you to come to him, the one who loves you, that he might forgive you of your sins and that you might have purpose and meaning and everlasting life. Father, we pause this afternoon to ask you to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't make ourselves something that we are not. But you have the ability by your love, by your grace, and by your eternal plan You have the ability to do for us what we so desperately need. We need the forgiveness of sins. We need the everlasting Prince of Peace to come and be our Prince, our Savior, our Lord. And so we pray that even in this hour, there are some in this room, that today would be the day when they would say, Lord, here's my life. Take it, remake it, remold it, do with it whatever you want. I'm going to trust in you. This is our prayer that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at myemmanuel.net.